With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Here at Single Simulcast, we often think about our listeners. What you're feeling, what your emotions are. How much there is a show that I could depend on? Every Wednesday, Single Simulcast will bring you some of the liveliest, funniest podcasts that you've ever heard. With such things as skits, musical interludes, and parody songs. I wish there was a show that I could laugh at. We here at Single Simulcast fully support you and your visions and dreams. So we will never do anything but bring you the most hilarious storylines in the game today. I wish I could fly. Single Simulcast loves you. We want you to know that we will always be funny. Except for now. Because we're being serious. Serious about being funny. I wish I had a wish star like Macaulay Culkin. That's Single Simulcast. On iTunes, Stitcher, Zoom, and at www.singlesimulcast.com. Single Simulcast. If you don't know by now, then you're probably slipping. This is Single Simulcast. Hi, I'm Laura. And I'm Jill. And this is Crime Divers. Our extra birthday episode because she had her had her uh, birthday the other day. I did, yes, I know. Well, so another year older now. Yeah. So and we have we have sang happy birthday to you and everything. So <laughs> so, but this is the extra one because her her birthday fell on a normal release day. So I'm giving her an extra one. Oh, thanks. You're too kind to me. I know. So so what's it called? It is called the Canoe Man. The canoe Man. Yeah, you'll know this story. I think probably everybody in the UK will know this story. Okay, well, I can't think of it right now, but I'm okay. sure as you start telling me, you'll... Uh, so I'm, assu- I'm assuming by, by saying everything in the UK, it means it must be from the UK. Yeah, it's in England. Right, okay. So shall we dive in? Let's dive in. Okay. So John Darwin was born on the 14th of August, 1950, in Hartlepool, County Durham, England. After finishing school, he attended De La Salle College in Lancashire, which I thought was a weird name for Lancashire. De La Salle. Yeah, it sounds like French or something. I've never heard of it. Uh, and he studied biology and chemistry. In 1973, he married Anne Stevenson and they had two children together, Mark and Anthony. John was a teacher for 18 years and he taught science and maths. He then worked for Barclays Bank for a while, then he became a prison officer at HM Prison Home House. Anne was a doctor's receptionist and the couple also ran a, bu- a business renting bedsits. So, well, I think they had, well, it's, I read that they had 13 properties, but I also read that they had 12 properties, but I'm thinking maybe they had 12 properties. And they lived in the and, 13th. And the 13th one was the one that they owned. Because right, yeah. at first I thought they had, 
13 properties that yeah. is rented. So I think that's what it was. But yeah, yeah. it really doesn't matter. Yeah, it's no. not... It's not important. I was going to say, it's really not that real. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you don't want somebody going, eh, no, that's wrong. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> um, so, uh, December 2000, uh, John and Anne moved to a place called City... Si- no. No. <laughs> Did they not? <laughs> no, they didn't. They moved to a place called Seton Carew. Uh, their two sons had grown up and moved out by then. Mm-hmm. Their address was number three, the cliff. And it was like right, right on the seafront. I was going to say they're right on a cliff. No, it was right <laughs> on the seafront. I just, I, I like the address because it, it was just, and because I've seen like where it is. Uh-huh. So it's a nice big house, and then obviously right across the road you've got the beach oh, and the wow. sea. Oh wow! That was a great view. Yeah. Yeah. So John had a canoe, and he would often go out on the North Sea on it. Mhm. So it was quite, you know, it was quite capable. Aye. Oh, yeah, in a canoe. Quite a bit of a hobby for him, I guess. Yeah. So is it? But John seemed to be one of these people who just wanted to be rich. And he did whatever he could to get money. He dabbled in the stock market, he traded at car boot sales, and he just had countless other side hustles. He was always on the hunt for the next thing to make him rich. Mm-hmm. And I think he just didn't settle very well. Even with jobs, you know, as I said, like, most people, I would think, if they've got a certain career, as a te- he was a teacher. Yeah, you think that would be a career That's a career, career. Yeah, yeah, but then he was... He worked for Barclays Bank and then he was a prison officer, you know, so he just, yeah. he was always looking, not even just for money, but career-wise and things like that as well. He, was, yeah. he seemed to be always looking for the next best thing. Yeah, like trying to better himself or, yeah. or, or maybe something that brings him more money or something like that. Yeah, so on the 21st of March 2002, John went to work as normal and then afterwards he went out in his red canoe, as he often did. He paddled out to sea towards a headland called North Gear. Gear, I think that's how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Once, I mean, once one of his neighbours was actually watching him, so mm-hmm. they knew that he'd actually went out. Yeah. So this guy's wife thought the weather was a bit rough to be going out in the canoe. That's how they remembered. Uh-huh. Um, but the guy said, nah, he knows what he's doing, he'll yeah. be all right. I actually think I do know this. I have heard of this. I'm sure you will. Yeah. Like, but I think it's one of those where I've, I've heard of it, but I don't know the ins and outs of it. Like I've You heard, know, like, the main bit. Yeah, I know the main bit, but I, I just don't know, like, all the details of it. Yeah. But it does, it does sound quite familiar right now, so I think as we go along, I'm probably going to be like, yeah, I do know this one. I would think so. <clears throat> so, actually, as I said that, the, the neighbour said the weather it was rough, but it wasn't actually rough that day. The water was actually quite calm, so I don't know. Right. don't know why that was. don't know. So, <laughs> and, um, however... Hours later, when he hadn't come home, Anne called the police and a massive air and sea search was launched. There were helicopters and police helicopters involved in the search. There were also two all-weather lifeboats and another four inshore lifeboats. So there was a total of about about 40 guys out at sea looking for them. Experts on the currents highlighted a huge area where the canoe might have drifted. And by dawn the following morning, they had covered roughly 200 square miles of sea. And the operation cost over £100,000. Oh, wow. That's that a is lot. a lot yeah. for a search, isn't it? Absolutely. But, you know, that's... Well, yeah, obviously yeah. they have to do it. Some, yeah. Somebody's gone missing. Yeah. So I just looked I just looked out the window. And on my neighbour's roof, there's... I think it's that two birds. Oh, yeah. But if you actually look at their shadows... Yeah. I thought it was like somebody's legs. I thought there was somebody on the roof. I thought, oh my <laughs> God, don't jump. <laughs> somebody dangling over. <laughs> oh, what a fright. So the Darwin's eldest son, Mark, was living in London at the time. So he came straight you know, home as soon yeah. as his, his mum told him what happened. Mm-hmm. Their other son, Anthony, was ho- on holiday in Canada. He had planned this trip to propose to his girlfriend... But upon hearing the news of his dad, he cut the trip short and he didn't even get the chance to propose. Aww. Like, it was just... But, I guess, Just know, came straight home, yeah. I'm sure there would have been another moment. <laughs> so people began to suspect that John had paddled out into the shipping lane and had been sucked into a propeller. Ooh. Yeah, that's... Oh, that does not sound good. That does not sound pretty at all. No. And later, John's paddle was found not far from the shore that he'd set off from. After four days, the search was scaled back as the chances of finding John now were pretty slim. Mm-hmm. So six weeks later, John still hadn't been found, but pieces of a red canoe washed ashore at Seton Carew. I'm just... Oh, poet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a poet and I didn't know it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So John was still hadn't been found, but pieces of a red canoe washed ashore at Seton Carew, uh-huh. which were identified by the Darwin family as pieces of John's canoe. Uh-huh. So there was a public appeal to anyone who might have been at the seafront that morning, but no one came forward. 
So an inquest was held and John Darwin was declared dead. Anne and her sons held... It's quite quick, did it, is that? No, I don't, I don't know when it was. It was just they were, because they held the memorial for him in 2004, which is two years later. Ah, so I'm not sure when the inquest was. Ah, right, because I was going to say, because normally it's normally like, well, in other cases that we've done, it's been like sort of five, seven years, and then they've been declared legally dead. So I just thought that was quite quick, maybe. But maybe it's Well, this quick. one, as I, I mean, I, I, as they had the memorial in 2004, as I said, I don't know if that's when the inquest, well, maybe that's when the inquest was. It didn't right, specify, okay. so... Fair enough. Um, so, yeah, Anne and her sons held a memorial for him in 2004. However... Little did Mark and Anthony know, Anthony? Anthony? Little did Mark and Anthony know their dad wasn't dead at all. Oh, what? He wasn't dead? No, he wasn't dead. He had faked his death. Uh, Do you remember it? Yes, actually, now, 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 yeah, that is what I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah. So, and just before we go any further, so he, he's faked his own death. And, he's, and, and Anne was in on it, so the husband and wife were in on it. Right. They didn't tell their sons, right. so they thought he was dead. Uh-huh. Why did they do it when their son was on holiday in Canada proposing to his girlfriend? I don't know. I mean, why did they do it in the first place? And that's shocking that they've done it, but, yeah, you could have waited. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, mean, that, I just don't understand why you would do that. I mean, it's... Like, who would do that? Who would keep, let their sons believe that that had happened, mm-hmm. but why? Surely they could have waited a few days or whatever until he proposed. Unless they thought it might be more realistic. I think that's believable. What it was. Yeah, I think they thought it would be more realistic. But I thought, well, so you're ruining your son's proposal. Yeah. And then you're basically ruining, well, the you know, you're telling him his dad's died. Yeah, that's awful. That is horrific. That is so. Bad. Anyway, I just wanted to get that in there because that really annoyed me. Yeah, I, don't, I, thought, I don't know if I could actually forgive my parents for that if they did Well, that. yeah, I don't think they have. No, because obviously, you know, we know what it's like for real to lose our dads. So, well, exactly. You know, like, that's, that's awful. So to, to go through that and then go, oh, actually, I'm not dead. Yeah, I, 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 yeah as you said, like, we've been through that. Our dad died. Assumingly for real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming, you know, I'm assuming he actually did die. But, like, you know, if mum... We find out that mum and dad, like, they'd faked that. Oh, no, I couldn't forgive them for it. No, no. How could you? How can you, your mum <coughs> go along with that? Like, you're seeing your mum and speaking to your mum. Well, seeing and, what the heartbreak that, you know, like, the kids are going through as well. Yeah, no. Yeah, just, no. So anyway, so he had faked his death and with the help of Anne. Um, yeah, and as I said, they let their sons uh, believe that he had died. And the reason for this was money. I was just going to say, I actually quite believe that was the case, considering yeah. you've just told me about all the... Well, why else, really? Yeah, because he obviously was always looking for making money, wasn't he? So so basically, they let their sons think their dad had died because they didn't want to go bankrupt. That's what it was. Like, they would rather steal insurance money instead. That's awful. I know. Like, just go bankrupt. There's, you know, things happen. There's no shame in it. You know, it, it does happen. Oh, yeah, it's happened to plenty of people before. Yeah, I know people that it's happened to. And it's, they, and a few years later, they, you know, they got back on their feet and everything was hunky-dory. Yeah. So. No, it doesn't mean that you're, you know, you can't do anything in your life again. It's just, a, a, obviously, a hard time that you're going to go through. But if, if you're, uh, you know, you can get a come out the other side, can't you? Yeah, and they can do it by other ways of not by not, but not like faking the death to claim yeah. on insurance money. Because I'm assuming that's what she obviously did. She must have claimed on the life insurance. Yeah. So for five and a half years, everyone except Anne thought John was dead. So they did this for five oh, and wow. a half years, until the fifth of December two thousand seven, when he walked into a London police station claiming to have lost his memory. <laughs> what? <laughs> Now, funnily enough, the police didn't believe that. <laughs> and they started to investigate into John's life before and during his uh, disappearance. Mm-hmm. So they soon found out that Anne had cashed in pensions and insurance. Mm-hmm. After his miraculous uh, reappearance, they took him back to the northeast where he came from for questioning. Mm-hmm. And it was here that he decided to tell the truth. So obviously, when he was in London, he was like, ooh, lost my memory. I can't remember anything for the past five years. Mm-hmm. But he decided to tell the truth once See, he was that's back. what makes me... Not laugh, but like if they went through all that hassle of obviously faking your death to claim money, and he's obviously you know 
clearly kept a low profile for five and a half years. I mean, it's not exactly like he's got to enjoy that money, is he? Or they wouldn't have yeah, enjoyed it, it together. Oh, it has. Yeah, you can listen to the rest of the story. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> so he was asked what he did on the day he went missing, and he said he came back from work, and he looked out to the sea and thought, it's not flat cam, it's not too rough. He said there was no point in going out if it was flat cam. That must be a term for... Canoe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so he took the canoe out and paddled out to sea. He kept going until he was out of sight of anyone who could be watching and then he headed back to dry land. He pulled into shore at the first pier south of Seaton Canoe and he, he was asked if anyone had helped him and he said, quote, I had made my wife or basically told her that, you know, if we are doing things then she had to agree and she picked me up, end quote. So Anne was brought into police custody. Mm -hmm. She was questioned and said, quote, I'm ashamed to say that in my original interview, I didn't give the whole truth, end quote. She told the police that John had phoned her that day from work and told her he was going out in the canoe when he got back and she was to pick him up and take him to Durham train station. So they must have already spoke about this. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm assuming that. They and, they just, and he's obviously just went to work that day and decided that was, right, the, day. That was the day and she had to go along with it, basically. Right. So after she dropped him at the station, she went straight home and reported him missing. So so by now, I'm assuming that you're wondering where he'd been for five and a half years. Well, yeah, I'm just thinking, how does somebody disappear for five and a half years? Yeah, and how they managed to keep him still being alive from his sons, mm -hmm. from their sons, and obviously what they spent the money on. So, John was actually still living at home. What? At number three, the cliff, with Anne. They were still living together. Okay. So, at first he had been camping on a beach in Cumbria, um, which, oh, that must have been cold because, when was it, March? Mm, it's not that warm. <laughs> it can be quite cold, it can snow I'm in thinking, March. Yeah, I'm thinking, that must have been cold. Um, but, and after, so he was there for like four weeks. Um... But after about, about four weeks, Anne picked him up and took him home and he lived there in secret. So basically, the, the, the Darwins already owned the house next door. Okay. So the, that was, you know, they were um, basically joined on to each uh, other, the two houses. Yeah. And they, they'd been keeping it empty in preparation for John's disappearance. So they lived together, but in the main bedroom, John had built a false cupboard to hide a secret passage which led directly to the house next door. Alright, so they must have planned this quite well <laughs> yeah. in advance then. So, if, so basically if friends or their, their sons called round, John would just run upstairs and nip through the the secret door and hide in the attic of the neighbouring house. Alright, okay. Just obviously so that he didn't make any noise yeah, or yeah, anybody yeah. came out or whatever. He wasn't there, yeah. Yeah, just, oh. But when strangers arrived at the house, for instance, there was a guy who was a plasterer and Anne had wanted a coat to get work done. When he came to the house, Anne introduced John as her handyman, so she ha he didn't hide at that point. Oh, okay. And the plasterer had said this handyman was very opinionated and he came across as quite arrogant. He wanted to know everything, even though it was Anne's house and he apparently didn't live there, because obviously he was the handyman. Yeah. He wanted to take charge, so he was questioning like how much everything would be and asking why something needed doing or... No, that doesn't need doing, you know. Uh -huh. And the plasterer was there for an hour and a half, and when he got home, he even mentioned to his wife that they were strange people. That's yeah. he just he was just like, what the hell? Like, why? Why? why is that was strange. And I just thought, I mean, I understand from John's point of view because it is actually his house, and uh, yeah. he did live there and want to take charge. But if you need to tell, I need to try and stick to. It. I don't know why they said he was the handyman. I mean, Anne could have said, okay. I mean, this man doesn't know any different. Anyway, this could be my partner. Oh, well, yeah. This could be my brother. Oh, but, yeah. You know, like, uh, the handyman. Yeah. I don't know, she could have made him more, like, a family member. Yeah, so. which would be maybe more understandable why he was having much more of an opinion. Exactly. I just... Yeah. People are weird when they're lying. Oh, yeah. That's, people, that's why, you know, <laughs> they, they can't keep up a lie. I mean, if you're telling the truth, it's always the truth. But if you start lying, I mean, lies change and evolve and... And that obviously comes across as weird sometimes. Well, yeah, exactly. That does. Exactly. So in his interviews with Cleveland Police, John revealed the level of planning that he put into the fraud. His first aim was to get a new identity. So a month after his disappearance, he went to the local register office and he ordered a copy of someone else's birth certificate. So the identity that he stole was of a baby called John Jones. But do you not need to have some kind of identity to request something like that no 
what, so I could just rock up at a, somewhere and go, ooh, can I have the birth certificate of a John Smith? Yeah. I thought you'd have to pay. My sister-in-law did it for, because um, we needed um, one of the kids, we lost one of the kids' birth certificates and we needed, needed it to get our passport. And um, because my sister-in-law worked up near the um, registrar's where, where, she was re- where she was registered, mm-hmm. she just went in and asked for it and they just... You pay for it, you pay for it. I don't know, I can't remember how much it was. It wasn't very much. Mm-hmm. And she didn't have to. Well, I mean, she's, our, she's auntie, so, you know, yeah, she's... I just find that very... Yeah, I don't think you should be allowed because to do that. Because that, to me, like, once... I mean, in other cases that we've done, once you've got a birth certificate and stuff like that, you can then get other things, like passports, driver's licences, and, and become somebody else. Is that, yeah. That's too easy. Surely it must be. Surely that's... Is that still the case? Well, this was only 2000 and, uh, 2002. Mm. I don't know. Those things have changed since then. And when when we got the the birth certificate, it must have been about two thousand and well, I don't know two thousand and eight something like that. So not that long ago. Mm. And as I said, my sister in law didn't have to prove anything. Yeah. Well, how can you prove that you're somebody's auntie? Mm-hmm. Um. So anyway, but yeah, I mean, like he picked a baby. I mean. The ba- the um, this John Jones, uh-huh. he had been born on the thirtieth of, of April, nineteen fifty, and he died five weeks later. Right. So a five week old baby, and what I, when asked it, John what made him pick that particular identity, mm-hmm. he said that the ha- eh, hashtag. Oh my god, I've been watching too much Love Island. Hashtag. Quote: Because if I was walking down the street and someone shouted John, I would want the name of John in case I turned around. Which is. Understandable, you won't the oh, same yeah. name. If I was going to have a new identity, I'd prefer to have the same, same name. Yeah, that's yeah. true, I suppose. And baby John had been born the same year as John Darwin, so obviously we'd want an identity of the, somebody the same age as him. So. Yeah, just sensible, I suppose. And he also said, quote, I wanted the birth certificate of someone who wasn't alive because I didn't want to ruin somebody else's life. That was the reason I chose someone who had been dead for 50 years, end quote. But he seemed to think that that was okay because... Baby John had died, but he obviously didn't stop to think of Baby John's family. I mean, oh no, ba- um, John, he had the baby John. You can't say Baby John, so much what I'm talking about. He had brothers and sisters, and when <clears throat> so excuse me, and when they found out their brother's identity had been stolen, they were really shocked and upset. I mean, like you know, even fifty years later, they were just like, yeah. what the hell? Like one of his sisters said, to steal a child's identity was just despicable. That's, yeah, oh, yeah. that's the only one she could. Absolutely, I agree. Of, like, yeah, that's awful. I know, it would be upsetting to find out that your family member, your brother or whatever, you know, even though they had died 50 years ago. Well, nobody else has got a right to use their identity yeah. at the end of the day, have they? So, as John told... Uh, as John had told the police that Anne had helped him, they wanted to know if she was a willing accomplice. Mm-hmm. She said it was John's idea and she didn't like it and she told him on several occasions that it was a ridiculous idea. She said she thought it was far better to go down the bank bankruptcy route rather than try to fake a death, but John just wouldn't hear of it. She said that he could be very manipulative and he would treat her like she was a second-year pupil that he used to teach, but the police weren't buying into that. They reckoned that they both put their heads together and came up with a plan and I, I can agree. Yeah, I think I think she's got to have some kind of willingness to what to do that, you know. Uh, how I mean, if she wasn't willing, I mean, if he really forced her into it, she could have really fucked his plans up because she could have just. Well, went, she could have went. No, no, he's not dead. Yeah, exactly. You know, so at any point she could have went. No, he's not actually dead. Exactly. She didn't even have to report him missing. No. Exactly. She could. She could have just picked him up, went and oh yeah, off you go. You know, get on your the train and away you go and she could have just went home and well yeah exactly you know, done nothing about it so yeah, yeah so I don't I don't believe that I don't buy that no and she she pressed to have her husband officially declared dead and even before that within weeks of his disappearance her name was on the insurance claim for £137,000 and also claimed £85,000 from John's teachers and prison service pensions and there was even a bereavement grant from the government the thing is, though, I mean, that's not very funny, but that's not... I wouldn't call that necessarily, like, life-changing money. I mean, yes, it would... It would you know, you're not going to live the rest of your life off that, surely. You're going to... Altogether, she was a quarter of a million pounds richer. Depends what you do with it. 
Well, yeah, I suppose. You know, if she was, if they were to do something sensible with it, then mm. yeah. But I don't think that's a quarter of a million. Yeah, that is a lot of money. That's a hell of a lot of money, but not enough to to me. That's not enough to fake my death for. No, and to risk. Yeah, you know, go to prison. And, but yeah, because that's what I mean. Like, say it's not to me. That's not life changing enough to do that. Like. No, I wouldn't. I would. I'm not. I wouldn't do it anyway. But no. I'd, it would be have to be more than that. Oh yeah. So the Darwins cleared their debt, debts, and began selling their houses off at a profit. But I'm like, why didn't they sell the houses before? Well, yeah. Exactly. Instead of faking the death again, oh, yeah. like, you know, if they if they had all those properties and yeah. needed some money, then surely they could have sold some to get some money from that. And they sold and them off at debts. a profit. Yeah. So it's not as if they were making a loss, they were getting a profit. And so then they could have cleared off their debts with that. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I, I just, think he's just had a total moment of madness where he thought, this is a great idea. I mean, no, not a moment of madness because he obviously planned it, but... A lot, yeah, but a lot of moment. <laughs> yeah, I think he just wanted to get, steal some money. Well, it's a bit of a drastic way to go, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So instead of banking the cash in the UK, though, they hid it in a complex web of off, offshore accounts beyond the reach of authorities. So having moved money in and out of the country from bank accounts and clients' accounts in a false name, they had also committed money laundering. Mm -hmm. By 2004, John was fed up of hiding in Seton Carew, and when he realised that Kansas and the USA had a lot of cheap land to sell, he set his sights on moving there. So he found out about Kansas because he he had been playing an internet war game. I don't know what it was. I don't play war games, so... (laughs) <laughs> um, and he got talking to a woman called Kelly Steele. Mm-hmm. She was a married mum of two and she lived in Kansas City. They became friends and they chatted and played the game for about a year. She said he was nice, he was just the same as anyone else she spoke to on the game. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He didn't stand out from anyone else, and she couldn't consider him to be a friend. So obviously, you know, they've obviously been chatting and she's obviously mentioned the, the prices of stuff there. Mm-hmm. So when John realised that cattle ranches in the Wild West were so cheap, that's when he decided he wanted one. So yeah. he discussed this with Kelly and he told her that he would send money to her to buy a rundown ranch. They agreed that Kelly would renovate it and run the business. So she started looking into some properties and gave him information and prices and he sent her the money to buy one that, that they had agreed on. So he planned to open an equestrian centre and get a herd of cattle. The ranch cost $26,500. It was really run down, so it needed to be completely redone. Kelly said John wasn't going to live in Kansas, he was going to be a silent partner. Mm-hmm. So soon after, uh, John decided to fly to Kansas. He'd always got himself a passport with John Jones, baby Jones' mm-hmm. identity. So he flew to Kansas to meet his new business partner, but Kelly quickly began to have doubts about him. She said, like, when he first got there, he was just, like, really quiet for the first five, ten minutes, and he just seemed a bit nervous. And she told him that he could put his bags in her daughter's room because that's where he was going to be staying. Now, oh. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, a man you met on over a game. I mean, she's married, but, like, not once did she... When when I was researching it, not once did, was the husband mentioned, though. But I don't, I don't know... But still, whether <coughs> married or not, I still wouldn't be inviting a stranger. No, you go stay in a hotel. Well, you did. But because <laughs> ten minutes later, Ken, Ken, <laughs> Kelly had been in the kitchen cooking, and she walked around the corner. Must be all on one level. Mm-hmm. And saw John got an, getting undressed with the bedroom door wide open, and like she shouted, "I'm like, what are you doing? We do not change with our doors open in America." Like, if that's what you do in your own country, fine, but we don't do that here. Right. Okay. And that's not acceptable. So she told him he wasn't allowed to stay at her house. And she took him to a hotel and he wasn't allowed in her home again. Which I can get that, because she's got kids. She was, you know, she at least had one daughter. I don't know what the other... I don't know whether the other kid was a a boy or a girl, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, shut the door when you're getting changed. Oh, yeah, you're in somebody else's house. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I just personally... You know, I, I wouldn't have invited him to my house. I would be like, no, you can stay at a hotel. 
Yeah, I mean, wait a bit. I mean, come round and have dinner and ah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you're not sleeping here. No, you're it's not sleeping here. I don't know you. Like, I've never even yeah. met you. Like, I've only met you when it's game. And... Exactly. So he told Kelly. Then he, t- he told Kelly that he was going to be he was going to live on the ranch, but she's like, no. Once it was ready, she would be living there with her family. That had been the deal. They'd already discussed that. Mm-hmm. And that, that was the deal, because obviously she was going to be running the ranch for right. him. Right. And then he mentioned living there with them, like with her family, and she said, no way. Kelly said, quite frankly, he made people uneasy here. They didn't want him to live in the town at all. So two and a half weeks after he arrived, Kelly asked Johnny to leave town. Oh. He must have made a really bad impression. <laughs> he must have done. Because, I mean, well, funny, but... Like, you kind of think, well, what what maybe right has she got? Because if he's given her this money to buy the ranch, then that is his business, isn't it? I mean, uh, if she's not putting any money into this, I know she's going to be running this stuff, but it's actually his, so surely he's got the overriding say on stuff? You, you would think. Um, but I can understand. I mean, if the Dory agreed that she was going to well, yeah, live I get, there. I get they agreed that. But I don't get why she has the right to run him out of town. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, even, you know, and even, like, it depends, I mean... Had they exchange, you know, had contracts exchanged, or was it just uh, a yeah, I don't know. I, 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 well, what we call like a gentleman's agreement, where they've just sort of discussed it, and agreed it, but they've not put it right in. I mean, because that's we don't know, do we? I guess no, I don't. I don't know about in the ends and outs and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. so that's all I know basically. Right. So he left, and back in Seton Carew, with his property investment in America on hold, John began to look looking for other ways to spend his stolen cash. So he decided he would like a place in the sun. And he saw a catamaran for sale in Gibraltar. So he contacted the salesman and went to see it. And he said he wanted to live there long term with his partner. The name of the boat was Bunara. And she was a 12 metre Solaris catamaran built in 1973. Initially, she had actually been built for a princess. Oh, right. I can't remember what princess it was. <laughs> princess of Gibraltar? Or, or not? Maybe another country. Um, and, 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 and then her... Oh, I've written that wrong. Anyway, so yeah, in her, in her day, the, the the catamaran, she had been one of the best long-term cruising boats that you could buy. But of course, by this time, she was getting on a bit. She was like about 30, 32 years old and right. she wouldn't be in the best condition. No. So John haggled over the price and he knocked it down to sixty from £60,000 to just £30,000. So that's like half price. Wow. Okay. But that still wasn't good enough for him. He insisted that the owners do more work on the boat before they would buy it. Um, and upon his re- return to the UK, he sent an email to the boat salesman and he really started to dig his heels in. He was ranting and raving and the salesman said he thought John was losing the plot. I think he was just, the email was just, I don't know, just him ranting and raving basically. Mm-hmm. The salesman was like, nah, I'm not, I'm not dealing with you. He would much rather that John just didn't buy the boat and that's mm-hmm. how bad he was. So the owners refused to give in to John's demands and that deal collapsed. Right, okay. So he still had about $50,000 tied up in the ranch in Kansas. Kelly said that they were about halfway through getting it finished when John started sending aggressive emails wanting to know why it wasn't ready yet. Mm-hmm. It, it basically just wasn't done quick enough for, for his liking. His liking, right. And he couldn't understand why. You know. Well, have you ever bought a ranch before? Do you know Obviously. what stuff needs done? Obviously. I mean, I don't know how long it'd take to renovate a ranch. It depends what needs done. It depends what condition it's in. Exactly. But he obviously... obviously Expect it to be done sooner than what it was. Right. Um, so he so he said, right, well, I want half of my investment back now. And Kelly, obviously, she didn't have the money to give back um, half the investment. So then he started demanding all of his money back. So Kelly couldn't sell the property and she couldn't get a loan. So John then started threatening to torture and kill Kelly. Oh, he threatened... Sounds like a delight. <laughs> he threatened to hurt her animals and to burn the property. He even claimed to know a gangster from New York who would enforce the debt. He told Kelly that the gangster had photos of her and her daughter and he would contact Kelly's sister if he couldn't find her. I think it's just really bullshit, to be honest. Well, it does sound a bit like that. I mean, yeah, but it must be scary to get an email like that. Well, yeah, I mean, it can't be nice, but... And, but one, one thing that John wrote in an email was, quote, Some questions you may think about to pass the time. Why did my horse get sick? Was the god godfather the one where that man's favourite horse got his head cut off? Do the brakes in my car need checking? Is the grass too dry around my house and barn? What's that noise outside? What? <laughs> what is a... He's just trying to scare her. Yeah. 
Be assured the debt collectors will visit you. Look up your wives and daughters when they're in town. Let the nightmare begin. End quote. Mm -hmm. And as I wrote here, he was also just talking shite and trying to scare her into getting his money back. Oh, yeah, totally. So by 2006, he had been officially declared dead for three years. But it, obviously his attempts to build a new life had repeatedly failed. Mm -hmm. So him and Anne now came up with a new plan. Because I don't know where Anne was in all this. She yeah. didn't seem to be involved. But she was involved in the, in the new plan. Mm -hmm. So they decide to, decided to move to Panama. Where, as where a lot of people who want to disappear go. Mm -hmm. So in July 2006, Anne contacted an estate agent out there about finding a local property. She told the estate agent that she was widowed and she introduced John as her partner. Right. So the estate agent took them to a small town called Escobar, which is two hours away from the capital of Panama City. They fell in love with a 481-acre plot of land. There was no running water, no electricity, and a single road that was right next to a lake, so it would be per <coughs> perfect for, like, a yeah. hideaway. Actually, uh -huh. it would be really nice. Yeah. So... <laughs> they started getting a bit stupid though because they eventually felt that they could pose for photos so, which was stupid so she, they let the estate agents take a few pictures of them together mm -hmm. So and you know obviously they looked happy because they were going to build their dream house out there Okay. so the Darwins paid $390,000 for the land they were planning on building an upmarket eco lodge for tourists and even running canoeing holidays. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, okay. So back home, their house in Seton Canoe was sold uh -huh. and they bought a small, fully furnished apartment in Panama City. I'm thinking, like, what did the sons think? Do you know what? <laughs> that is so weird because I was actually just going to finish that sentence and just stop and say, where were the sons in all this? Like, well, what do you think their mum was doing? Like, if my mum, obviously, as I said again, you know, we our dad's gone, so we just we just have our mum. Uh -huh. So if my mum, our mum, sorry, decided that she was gonna up sticks and move to Panama, I'd be like, well, right, it's your life, you do what you like, but I'm gonna come with you uh -huh. and just just check it out. Yeah, just check help it out. You. Yeah, okay. exactly, help you along with the process because surely you're not gonna do all that yourself. That's a big thing. Oh well, yeah, you'd think so. So I would, and I would be like, well, I would, I would want to help her in any way possible. I mean, I wouldn't want her to move out there, but no. you know. It's her life. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, know. I might be like, well, maybe I'll just come with you. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Why don't we all just move out there? Yeah, I know. Imagine if they had turned around and said that, the sons. <laughs> I know, eh? Oh, we'll just come yeah. with you. They'd have to build a secret passageway somewhere so that he could sneak in and out. But yeah, like, I just find it... I mean, we obviously don't... I'm assuming we don't know what conversations would have been had. No, but you know, they, they, may well, they may well have had conversations with about stuff like that, but... Yeah. Just, there must have been a reason that why they weren't going out there with her and helping yeah. her out. And, I mean, there is a, a bit where they do help her. I'll, I'll get to that later with, with money stuff. Uh -huh. But, yeah, I just... I'd, I'd be actually quite worried because I'd be like, well, my mum's just flew out to Panama and she's looking for a house yeah, by like, why herself. why is she moving out there, yeah. Like, why? Yeah, but, well, yeah, that as well. Like, why is she moving out there? But the fact that she's just doing this all herself, she's just flew out there... Does she not want somebody just to bounce ideas off to kind of say, well, what do you think of this? Oh, what yeah. do you think of that? Yeah, like make sure things are all right. You know, make yeah. sure things are like legit and stuff. And obviously, you know, you've, you've always known your mum as being part of a marriage, a relationship, a partnership. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't be used to her doing like independent well, things like yeah. that. I mean, you'd probably be maybe worried for her. I mean, it's not saying that she can't go out and be very independent and do what no, she wants to do. Of course, I mean, I'm sure she's more than capable, but you, I, I would worry. I would worry yeah, about her. Of course. It's, I, I just, I mean, obviously, we don't know the ends No, I don't mean we don't know what's behind, gone on behind the scenes. But you know, it does make me wonder. Yeah, yeah, it definitely makes me wonder, like, how her sons perceived that and mm. what their thoughts on it were and yeah. what their conversations may have been with the mum about why she was doing it and are you sure that's the right thing to do? But obviously, well, she's went and done it. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I, obviously, I mean, we can all, we can only kind of guess, and as I said, we can compare. Well, the way that we would yeah, but, act, but yeah. everybody's different. Oh, acting sure. different ways. So. I mean, you don't know what you know what they might have thought about. It, what I said, what conversations they did have about it behind yeah. closed doors. But I think that would be. I mean, I know they were grown up, but I think that'd be a big thing for them because basically, their dad died, and then a few years later, their mum's moving to Panama. Yeah, exactly <laughs> to another country. So that's like 
Oh, I, I would. I think I'd feel a bit abandoned. Yeah, even yeah, even, yeah. even as an adult, I yeah, think I would feel a bit it's abandoned. A big, it's definitely a big thing. I mean, it's not like she's moved just down the road, mm-hmm. or you know, she's moved you know a few miles. She's moving to a, a totally random country. Exactly, it's weird. Anyway, um, so yeah, so they bought a, a an apartment in in Panama City. So they got their stuff shipped over, and they decided to take a wee break to Costa Rica for a couple of days. Anne spoke to the estate agent on the 30th of November 2007 um, and she said to the estate agents that they were just um, on their way back from their from their re-break and they were looking forward to starting to build their own house. Uh-huh. However, 24 hours after that phone call, John took a cab to the airport and flew back to the UK claiming to be missing his two sons. And shortly after landing, he began saying that he lost his memory. So that was him coming back. Oh, okay. So, as I say, like, what happened? Well, that's that. Yeah. So, obviously, after he walked into the police station that day, it was all over the news and there was a press conference. The guy who was like doing the, the press conference, he said, quote, Mr. Darwin walked into the West End Central Police Station in London four days ago and declared that the police may be looking for him. He was in apparent good health, tanned, well-nourished and dressed. He went on to say that he had no recollection of what had happened in the previous five years, end quote. What? Rubbish. So, as news of John's reappearance became public, for the British press pack, the race was on to get an interview with Anne, you know, like... Oh, yeah, yeah, Because, obviously, at this point, nobody knew whether she was in on it, yeah. So, first off the plane, because she was still in Panama, mm-hmm. so first off the plane was reporter David Lee... And as with everyone else, he was desperate to find out if she knew about her husband's fake death. Oh, so they knew she was in Panama and they flirted her? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't actually... Well, yeah, they, they must have... Because they must have been like... Because well, obviously the sons knew that she was in Panama, oh, yeah, so yeah. yeah. They must have found out. I was just about to say, how did they know that? But like, obviously... They must have found out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when he found her ap- apartment in Panama, she denied knowing anything about it. She appeared delighted that her husband had been found alive after five and a half years. She gave David an interview and appeared to be amazed, you know, that her husband was, mm-hmm. was fine. But the following day, Anne and this reporter, David, they were having dinner. And the Mirror Night News desk phoned David and they said that they had uncovered a pretty, a pretty sensational picture. So David asked Anne to go back to his hotel with him as they had something to show her. And the photograph that, it, that the, the Mirror had uncovered was the Darwins smiling together as they inspected property on their first visit to Panama in 2006. Duh. So it had been found by someone in England who had just searched the internet for Anne Darwin. Because obviously, this news had all came out, yeah. people would have been on the internet doing searches, and this estate agent's probably put pictures up because, like, in their properties. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. There, so, there. there they are. So... And she just stared at the photo for about five or ten minutes and then said, well, I suppose that picture shows an awful lot, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, no shit's her luck. <laughs> yeah. So meanwhile, in England, John was arrested on suspicion of fraud. So Anne flew back um, with, with David, the reporter. They touched down at Manchester Airport and all of a sudden, five Greater Manchester police officers who were armed came onto the plane, didn't even give her a chance to get off the plane. Oh, wow. Came onto the plane, read Anne her rights and took her off to the police station. How bad is that? If I'd be mortified. But, you know, to be fair, <laughs> she, she deserved it. Yeah, she did, she did deserve it, but yeah. yeah, that would be embarrassing. Yeah, it would be a bit. So when Anne was asked why he came home, he claimed that he'd... That one, he claimed that once he'd cleared his debts and sold his houses, he had... Are you going to sneeze? I did a quiet one. No, did you? Right, okay. <laughs> I thought, I'll just let you do it. But, um, yeah, so when, when he was asked why he came home... He claimed that once he'd cleared his debts and sold his houses, he had always intended to pay the insurance money back. Oh, what? He just thought he could rock back up in the world and go, Hi, I'm not dead. Yeah, thanks for giving me a loan of that money. Yeah, here it's back now. Let me just carry on my life as the man I was. <laughs> so yeah. police police were obviously sceptical and said, well... And he said, because they were like doubting it, and he said, John... Quote, why did I come back if it wasn't to pay the money? Yes, I claimed amnesia at the beginning. That does not detract from what I came back to the UK to do, to pay the money back, end quote. Uh-huh. But if he was planning to, play the money, planning to pay all the money back, why did he move all his cash overseas? Uh-huh. Why did he buy a ranch in Kansas? Yeah. Why did he plan on buying a yacht? Yeah. And why did they buy a massive big bit of land and an apartment in Panama? Uh-huh. 
Exactly. And why would you come back? If he was coming back to pay the, the money, why was he claiming fucking amnesia? Exactly. Exactly. Um, as I said, no shit, John. No being funny, but if you could have sold all your properties in the first place to mm-hmm. make the money to go and do all the stuff that you would do without having to get it from a life insurance. Yeah. So, you're asking why he came back. So, we think the, the reason, I think we know the reason why. So, according to police, they had received a tip off that John was still alive. Right. Don't know what, like, where that came from. Mm-hmm. So they believe it was no coincidence that he'd chosen to hand himself in a few weeks later. What, like he'd been blackmailed or something, maybe? No. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. No, it just, well, a police officer said that information had came through that is sure would have got, it would have taken a financial investigator through to Panama and that John and Anne would have been located. So it sounds to me like John got wind of that and decided handing himself in would be better than waiting for them to find, to find him, because obviously he knew he was going to get punished. Yeah. So, hand in yourself, and you'll maybe get a bit of a lighter, right, a lighter okay. sentence. So, throughout the years that John was missing, police said that that they know for definite, like Mark and Anthony had no idea yeah. that he was still alive. Uh-huh. In 2006, they unknowingly helped their mum transfer the, insur- the stolen insurance money into foreign bank accounts. <coughs> Excuse me. They didn't know it was stolen money because they thought their dad was dead. So basically, their parents used them for money laundering. Which, but then, again, you know, I'm, I'm, I would. What are you going to say now? Well, was, actually, I usually know what you're going to say, but this time I'm like, what? Yeah, but would the sons not question why the mum is transferring money into foreign bank accounts? Well, I'm sure she probably came up with a good excuse. Well, I mean, if our mum said, "Oh, I need to try," it, I'd be like, why? Like, who you hiding it from? Like, what you what are you doing? Because well, to me, maybe that's they did. dodgy. But maybe, maybe, they came, maybe she came up with a good enough. Oh, I can't think of she a good be, She could have said that she was investing money in something. Like, there could have mm-hmm. been lots of reasons. Again, I don't know. But that, uh, you just picked up on the totally wrong point there. My point was, <laughs> how disgusting is that to use your sons? Oh, yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Totally, that's like awful, one thing, but you I just... just... You're letting your, your sons believe that your dad's dead. No, to and be fair, then you use them for money laundering. If you're let them believe that your dad's dead, then probably money laundering is just like that's probably quite easy for her because she's yeah, already done the most probably the most despicable thing by letting them believe their dad's dead. But yeah, but I just wondered again, not knowing what conversations would have went on with that, but what did they think about that? What did she tell them that was for? I would mm. you know be interested. No, I know we're yeah. not gonna know, but I know like she, she must have came up with something pretty decent for them, or maybe they just trusted their mum. You know, maybe it was just like, well, we 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 just know it's not going to be in Dodge. I don't know. I mean, yeah, everybody's different. Yeah. So <laughs> they said that um when and they said that when they found out that the that their parents had hatched this plan together, brothers Mark and Anthony issued a statement. They said that they'd cut off all contact with their mum and dad and decided that they would never speak to them again. So <clears throat> on the twenty third of July two thousand and eight. John and Anne were both convicted of fraud. John faced an additional charge relating to his fake passport and was sentenced to six years and three months in prison. Anne was sentenced to six years and six months. Both appealed their sentences and were both denied. Ha! Mm. That annoys when people appeal their sentences because it's like, no, just take your punishment. Exactly. Um, John was released in January 2011 and Anne was released in March 2011. And I'm assuming they're now skint. So she ended up being in jail longer than him. Well, she actually did more than what he did because yeah. she was the one who was claiming money. Yeah, it wasn't true. him that was claiming yeah. it. That's true, that's true. So she... Because yeah. I kind of thought that at first as well, but then I was like, oh, right, yeah, right, yeah, right. right she, was, yeah. she was the one that was really... I mean, basically, he disappeared mm-hmm. and he obviously got his fake identity, but it was harder to the rest of it, really. Yeah, that's true. Because she was the one that was claiming the money and she reported him missing. She's so... Mm-hmm. But she only got three months more than Oh, him. yeah, I mean, not so, a lot. That's right enough, but... Yeah, so... And then, do we know if they're still together? Yeah, I think they are. I, I think, I'm, I'm not actually sure. But they must... I'm assuming they're skinting, I mean... Well, they must be doing something. To they're probably on benefits, because, like, who would employ them? Well, well people can redeem themselves, I suppose, <laughs> have a second chance and... Tell that to their sons. Well, I, I mean, I'm obviously, yeah, I mean... I don't blame them for not... No, I don't blame them, because, let's like, <laughs> say, if, you know... I would find that, you know, very hard to forgive somebody faking their death, like, you know, especially your your family, you know, faking your death and and then 
you know, believing that your parent has died and then all of a sudden they just come back and knowing that your mum or your dad's been in on that as well, that, yeah, no, I could, I don't think I could forgive that because... No, that would, you know, <laughs> it's like a big, big, big person, I think, to Oh yeah, because going, going through that. losing a parent is, is not nice, so, you know, that... No, that's a... To I, not have had to go through that because they weren't really dead, I mean... That's a massive, a massive thing to go through, um, losing a parent, and to find out that no actually didn't and we just lied to you and because you when, when you're grieving your parent but you're also worried about your your well, other I mean, parent yeah, you know yeah. because you're like well they're you know that's their their husband their wife they're obviously grieving as well absolutely and, but yeah she was like stealing well, no, money hey no no feel well it wasn't dead i mean she must have felt like a good act for grieving she must have done i mean yeah, just, that's oh. yeah but anyway no. But that's see, it's another case of it. I didn't know the story, but I didn't know the ins and outs of that. Yeah, well, there's there's your your extra birthday bonus. That's quite a good one. <laughs> I like that one. And well, it, and nobody died. Well, yeah. I mean, well, nobody actually nobody did die. I mean, we we thought somebody died and went missing, but nobody actually did die. Well, exactly. So there you go. You know, like I like to change it up now and again, and not always have horrible murders. So because always because obviously the last one. That we did actually on your birthday. That was a horrible one. So yes, that that's was. why I thought I'd maybe yeah. No, I'm not having having the two episodes in a week. Yes, it was a bit maybe a bit much having two massive horrible murders. <laughs> so thank you for listening, everybody. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed that one. And if you want to follow us on social media or support us on Patreon, etc., just have a look at the show notes and you'll find our details there. And if you do like listening to us and you want to carry on listening to us, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, Rate, review. review. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.